I'm Charlie Hipwood, CEO of Mass Ventures. And I'm Stacy Swider, an investor at Mass Ventures. And we welcome you to the Fundable Founder, where we'll be exploring relevant topics for technology entrepreneurs to help them succeed in raising capital and in growing their businesses. As a founder who started and ran three companies, I didn't know what I didn't know when I first set out. <laughs> but you eventually figured things out, right? For the most part, through trial and error and mentorship. But now as a VC, I'm frequently advising entrepreneurs on the same topics. So Stacy and I are here to share that earned wisdom with you, along with the experts that we interview on a variety of subjects. We are. The roadmap to a successful startup is at your fingertips. So turn up the volume and grab the keys to success for your fundable founder journey. Welcome to uh, episode three of The Fundable Founder. Today, we're joined by Dexter Ang, who's the founder and CEO of Python. Welcome, Dexter. Thank you, Charlie. It's my honor to be uh, able to spend this time with you. Well, that's great. I mean, I know you have a great story to tell. Uh, you've been very successful at fundraising, and so I think our audience will really enjoy hearing your story. But first, why don't you tell us, uh, you know, what's your elevator pitch for Python? Tell us about yeah. your company. Great. Python is in the neural interface industry. We are creating um, gesture control and touchless control applications for end users who want more intuitive and accessible ways to control any sort of interaction, maybe robots, uh, as well as augmented reality. And so we're working with the government as well as enterprise um, partners to be able to change the world and disrupt how humans and AI interact on a daily basis. That's awesome. So maybe give one example of how you can use touches control in your everyday life in the, in the future. Yeah, great. So our, our first product is actually for the government where we'll allow users who are using versions of Google Maps and Messenger on their phone, but to be able to control that phone, even if it's in their pocket. Uh, just by doing swipes in the air or being able to respond to text messages just by lifting up their finger, uh, as well as then allowing other users in the government to be able to control drones just by indicating where they want the drone to go with their hand. And so we've seen a lot of interest um, and have a lot of backers in the federal space, and we're excited to get our technology out there to change the world. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've seen the technology. It's very cool. Uh, it's very sci-fi. Uh, but it's here today, which is great. Um, so tell us a little bit about your origin story. Why did you decide to start this business? Uh, so Python was started in, in four and a half years ago, 2016 in the fall. And, and the problem set at the time that I had was actually very personal. My mother was affected by ALS, a condition that I knew nothing about at the time. Uh, and, and so uh, my mother, she lost the ability to uh, pick up a fork to feed herself. She couldn't even put her hand on a mouse to, to click it to read eBooks, which was her favorite activity. And as an engineer uh, from MIT, I, I just saw that that was a problem set that was um, pretty saddening and it just bothered me that technology wasn't at the place to address that. And so I um, talked to a number of people in the MIT network. I met my co-founder, David Cipolletta, and uh, we basically started working on it almost immediately. Uh, and then we had some initial uh, interest from MIT um, you know, group that was able to give us initial funding to get incorporated and file our first patents. And so we started uh, in that time and we recognized that the technology we were creating was, was almost an entirely new way of trying to capture data, especially people who couldn't move. Um, ultimately, people with ALS, uh, you know, they, their finger movement or their range of motion goes down to centimeters and millimeters. And, you know, I just had this concept of, you know, if it's, if it's, little to zero physical movement, why does the digital capability 
also need to be impacted. And so we, we sought to create electrically um, a solution given that it's an electrical problem in the human body. Yep. Um, so that's how we started. And clearly the use case of, you know, helping people with ALS has grown. Our ambition has grown as well. We have, you know, fund um, VC backers that are from the consumer world as from the enterprise world. And we see the larger opportunity that um, it's a slow burn to be able to build a technology platform, but then applicability is across many markets over time. Right. That's great. So like a lot of entrepreneurs, you really started with a passion around trying to solve a specific problem. And uh, quite often, it, it, you know, good entrepreneurs need that passion to drive them in the early days of their business uh, to be successful. Uh, so let's go back all the way to when you really started thinking, you know, got this business off the ground. Um, did you raise friends and family money? Did you bootstrap? Like, what were the earliest days like? Right, the earliest days, I mean, I do have a lot to contribute to, to MIT's network as a whole. Um, not necessarily um, from my undergrad days, but, you know, coming back as an advanced study fellow and being intentional about being able to create this business in 2016 um, after working in industry for about eight years. Uh, I, I was able to, through that innovation ecosystem, meet people who introduced me to other people. Uh, the Sandbox program uh, at MIT was one of them. And then eventually there were angel investors in the Boston network, as well as um, my background in Chicago that were able to get us through the first couple of years of a couple million dollars. And uh, really the thesis there was, you know, let me just try to find people who knew and trusted me and could recognize that this is gonna be a long journey as a company. And then we will have a more, um, you know, narrow financing strategy after that point which is then when we got more serious with a company like Bose, who you know, has a very um, strong reputation for high quality interactions. And so they approached us as uh, with angle of audio augmented reality. And that's what you know, is a focus for us uh, longer term as a company as well. Great. And so those initial angel investors, you would say were really investing in Dexter. I, I, I can't imagine that any startup is done any differently than investing in the person that they know. Yep. Um, at least for the sake of totally new technologies in, in wild spaces that don't exist yet. I can imagine that if, if Python was a company that was a clone of another company that existed, um, in a, that was larger, then it would be easier to mentally map the trajectory of where Python was going. But really, we're starting something new. That's what a startup is, creating new technology, unclear business model, unclear product direction, unclear market. And therefore, the only thing that's known is the person. Right. And so, you know, I think people had to trust me and I had to be able to recognize that millions of dollars were being invested from people's wallets because of me personally. And so there's a responsibility there. And obviously, all the early employees, it's the same thing. They joined because of me. And so I, I have to do my due diligence on making sure the company is run very well, with a clear strategy um, and a very ambitious one to get there. Yeah, so when that first angel money came in, you didn't just go celebrate and start spending it all, did you? You tried to create a really responsible company that, um, that would make those investors proud of what you're doing, right? I think, I think investor dollars are very important to respect. Uh, I had put in you know, a lot of money on my own personally. I've invested a lot of my own money into the company as well. Uh, I, I believe uh, truly in our growth. And so that is 
an important personal thing that I did, but ultimately, yes, investor dollars um, are very important. Everybody can spend their dollars and their time in any different way. And, and ultimately, you know, why is the personal relationship important? Because, um, you know, with our investors, there are a handful that I don't talk to on a regular basis. There are a few that I talk to on a regular basis. So for a person to give money, it's also saying I'm, I'm expecting and willing to give hours of my time you know, on a possibly regular basis to you. And therefore I'm signing up for that. Yep. I don't think people really think about that, but that, therefore the, the personal connection and trust must be uh, unquestionable. Yeah, no question. And I think a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs um, probably don't completely uh, understand or, or, you know, realize the impact of that relationship building at the beginning. When we're doing due diligence on companies at the seed stage, most of the due diligence we're doing is around the person and getting to know the person uh, because we expect to be in a five, seven, 10 year relationship with that person. Uh, and so you need to spend several months getting to know them and, and, and understand their passion, their, their work ethic, their decision-making skills and all those things as well. So it's, that's important. Um, so, you know, you raise some angel money, you know, you're in a, a new technology, kind of in the deep tech space, tough tech space. There's not a ton of VC money uh, that invests in early stage deep tech, right? There's, because uh, it often takes a lot of time and a lot of money. Uh, how did you go about identifying which VCs you wanted to approach and, and find the right fit for you? That's a great question. Um, and I think you, you approach it the right way, which is holistically looking at the landscape. I, I wasn't you know, laying out the thousand VCs and slicing and dicing, which ones might be a fit. But I think there has to be a constant pulse check. Uh, pulse check on, you know, like where are VCs generally interested? And, in? you know, usually they're fast followers, you know, they're group, uh, there's group thing. But there are, you know, the deep tech ones are, are intentionally trying to be outside of that. And they're harder to find and there are few of them. And then our first market being a government space is also narrowing, the scope of applicable firms. And I think number one is a pulse check generally of across different types of firms is a good idea, big and small ones, different tier firms is constantly a good thing. But, but I think I definitely wasted, uh, was not efficient with my time in recognizing that there were a class of investors who were comfortable with tough tech, were comfortable with, with market risk, were comfortable with um, the fact that we recognize and knew how to help us make money in the government space. And, you know, that's a very small minority of investors. <laughs> if I could go back and tell myself any advice, it would have been, you know, um, you know, there's this cartoon that's like, it says, well, no, the Einstein said, right. If you do something twice, then, you know, you're, you're likely insane. And so I think the thing is try as a CEO to pivot super quickly, capture enough data, just like you're doing of customers or tech or, 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 or discovery of markets. You need to discover VC interest really quickly and then open the aperture to try to find the ones that are gonna fall in love with you instantly. Uh, it shouldn't be any sort of, you know, ultimately looking back, it was an obvious fit for all the ones who invest in us in the angel round and in the seed round and in future um, larger rounds that it was an obvious fit. Um, and there was, it might be like a relationship, right? You, you might date somebody and you're thinking, is it a good fit if it's not a good fit? It's probably not a good fit. 
Right. <laughs> and so I, I, I can only give myself that advice um, now, not historically, but that's what I would definitely recognize. And at this point in time in the industry, uh, there's just so much um, flush, you know, uh, funds and, and funders and opportunities to get capital that a startup should be, you know, having a very wide and fast search to find the best possible fits. How many meetings do you think you had? How many pitches did you have before you found the right fit with, with your investors? Uh, well, it happened over time. We did raise our angel investments over time. I, I can't, I'm not sure the yield right there. Um, it, the first com- first two conversations we yielded money actually. So from the MIT <laughs> network, um, you know, from ultra wealthy people. Uh, and, but ultimately then over time, it's, it's, a, you know, it's like everybody, it's a yield rate that's super low and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe 10%, maybe less. Right. Um, and then ultimately though, once I started talking in the right circles, sometimes it would be one call and the person's in, yep. um, but sometimes it's all the people dragging their feet. So I'd say again, always just like, just like relationship, personal relationship, there's yeah. a lot to be gained there. Uh, just think of it as a numbers game and think of it as trying to make fast filters. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of information out there. You can research and figure out who those best and best fits are going to be in advance. And if you can show those investors why you think they're a good fit, that's a great way to start the conversation. Uh, every one of our major investors and significant investors at Bison, um, I have had cold intros. I have had worrying intros. The only ones that ever bore fruit uh, in a meaningful way were referrals. So, yep. for example, we have an investment from Bose and from InQtel. Inkytel has introduced us to in further investors. Yep. And that, that sort of like stamp of approval and a pass through from a, from a vetted credible partner uh, is way more meaningful than anything I could do on my own. So you did something else that was uh, pretty smart to help de-risk the investment for your investors. And that was getting non-dilutive money uh, from a variety of sources. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that process of identifying grants and other things that you received? Yes. Yeah, so I think the way to think about it is at least in our technology, neural interfaces, this is a pretty capital intensive, um, you know, area in the world. It's obviously new. So there's some market timing, you know, risk as well as, you know, product risk. And so what we have to be thinking about always is, okay, assume the worst, assume this is a marathon, not a sprint in terms of, you know, reaching scale growth. And therefore, what are, what are robust ways to reach capital in a sustainable manner? And so, yeah, there were a number of grants, the CIBR, SBIR programs in the federal government are pretty substantial. Um, those could be NSF as well as, um, you know, NIH or, or DOD. And ultimately, there's uh, the, the U.S. government is positioned to help startups succeed. Uh, and there are several million dollars that startups can accomplish. Um, by putting in the legwork. And I think that um, no CEO should be, should be shy or sh- staying away from any financing strategy unless they've actually learned how it works themselves. Yeah. And so there, I know many startup founders who um, particularly did not pursue SBIRs. And then at Python, we've had you know, a great deal of, of growth from them um, and maintaining all of our IP. And so obviously there's a pro and con to everything. I would give myself feedback years in the past. I would have actually been more aggressive in raising VC earlier, actually. Um, and then uh, layered in the SBR revenue a bit later, if I could have uh, given myself advice earlier, because there's just 
a need for speed. And yep. the SVRs are not necessarily fast for laying the groundwork of the team. That makes sense. That's great advice. Uh, any other final thoughts on fundraising advice for aspiring entrepreneurs out there? Um, I think there's no way around just, you know, hitting the pavement. However, uh, don't bang your head against a brick wall. If it's not working, pivot almost immediately. So I, I had this saying to myself, if I heard the same feedback, even twice, I did a major shift. Mm. So one time I, I can't take that as, as being uh, impactful, but two times, then I recognize I need to mitigate that risk immediately or address that comment immediately. That's great advice. Thank you. So I always like to finish by asking uh, our guest, uh, how would you describe yourself in one word? <laughs> one word. Um, how would you describe me, Charlie? <laughs> you know me now for I think, the conversation. I think you're tenacious. Uh, well, isn't every startup like that? Not every one of them. <laughs> okay. Um, I think so. I, I think that's what I've heard. That's what I hear from, you know, within my team. You know, I have the leadership team myself, my CTO, David, my CEO, Giuseppe. And, you know, there was a question that you asked me to reflect on going into this conversation, which was who is the most um, impactful person to the fundraising journey in general? It's actually been the COO, Giuseppe Studo. That's great. Who uh, created a, a company called FAM that was um, acquired by DraftKings. And then he joined Python as an angel investor and as COO. And to have somebody who has, has gone through the paces of raising funds, uh, fundraising from tier one firms and then been acquired uh, in a very rapid manner and then learning how a larger growing company operates. I mean, basically, you know, I don't know what I don't know and nobody does. And so bringing somebody with that experience um, and with the tireless work ethic has been uh, insurmount, uh, insurmountably important. And he always says, you know, like he, he, he believes in Dave and I because we just never quit. Yep. We just never, ever quit at anything. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know how a startup or any company can operate without that attitude because we're trying to build something for the first time in the world. Why would anybody expect this to be easy? Yeah, no, there's, there's four things I look for in founders typically. It's passion. It's intellectual curiosity, it's work ethic, and it's good decision-making skills, right? And, mm -hmm. and those four things, um, you know, to me kind of add up to somebody who's tenacious or determined uh, in those types of words. And, and you definitely fit that characteristic, Dexter. There is a, um, at MIT, not, not that I, you know, I, I don't reflect back on it too much, you know, I'm now, you know, several years outside of it but there is one undefinable characteristic that they recognize led to success of alumni. And it was not intelligence. There's a baseline there that's needed. It wasn't background, it wasn't income, it wasn't anything, it was perseverance. Perseverance. And, and defined as resourcefulness. So if you're up against a wall and you don't know how to figure something out, you find out how to figure it out. Yep. Right. And so it's like there's a saying from Jeff Bezos, like when he's looking for partners, then he wants somebody who like if he's locked up in a jail in some weird country that that person will figure out how to get him out. <laughs> right. And so that's that's resourcefulness is trying like, you know, every day I solve problems that I've never solved before. 
yep. on a personal basis. Some other people have solved it. And so I'm going to figure that out. Uh, but that's, that's the case. And, and, and so um, drawing resources from the rest of the world to build a company is just the most required attribute of a startup company. That's awesome. Well, that's a great place for us to end this, Dexter. I really appreciate you being on. It's tremendous advice for aspiring entrepreneurs out there. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fundable Founder. Please go to our website at mass-ventures.com for more information on Mass Ventures and where you can also find other episodes just like this.